Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. picture history. Hollywood has tried to show you what the afterlife is really like. Good afternoon and welcome to Judgment City. You have any idea what's going on? No. Well, in a nutshell, you're here to defend your life and I'm going to help you. Defend my life? Finally. Wow. The first true story of what happens after you die. Where am I? Is this heaven? No, it isn't heaven. Is it hell? Actually, there is no hell. Although I hear Los Angeles is getting pretty close. Didn't anyone ever tell you you carry yourself very stiffly? Leave me alone, I'm dead. That's life. Albert Brooks. You make me think of my little poodle. Meryl Streep. I think I might have been a heavyset man at one time. (laughs) Rick Torn. Lee Grant. Buck Henry. In a new film by Albert Brooks. So I'm on trial for being afraid. Well, first of all, I don't like to call it a trial. Second of all, yes. If you see one movie before you die... I love you! I love you! This is damn exciting stuff. See, defending your life. Most people love it. Some it makes nauseous. <laughs> don't worry about it. Hi guys, long time no listen. <laughs> Welcome to the yeah. Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host Jimbo and joined by my two MIAs, we oh, have... it's Terrence, hello. And Kyle, hi yeah. again from we, the world of today. Yeah, we uh, <laughs> we took a little hiatus, there was a lot of things going on, a lot of vacation, sickness. Um, you may have heard about some life. Global pandemics, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. All no. kinds of stuff going around the world, and uh, we got caught up in it all of it. It's yeah, great. so <laughs> we decided to put it on breaks, but just like your favorite fall TV special, we're back, baby. We just took the exactly. summer off. Exactly. So, um, made you long for more content. We built suspense <laughs> and for like a month and a half. And speaking of content, we are piling it on, so be prepared for several releases and comebacks for the next few months. I would like to say that, unless... Things happen again, then we'll just 
cancel that. Delete we have that an exciting bold future <laughs> TM planned. planned right. <laughs> the project board looks good. Exactly. Um, so yeah. Well, today we are discussing. Uh, this is episode sixty-eight of uh, a movie that was requested a long time ago. Um, Terrence and I was on uh, a podcast uh, being interviewed by Mrs. Leslie Fear um, from the podcast Because I Want to Know. Very wonderful um, woman. Very lovely Very podcast. great, great individual. Um, so uh, during the course of that, we discussed uh, movies, and she was bringing up some that I had never even seen, never even heard of. Um, she says, well, you gotta wa- you got to watch this one. So... When I bought it and I started watching it, she was like, "Oh, I'll watch it with you." So she she actually simultaneously watched it. And she was on message like, "See, nice. did you like that?" I was like, "I guess." <laughs> so, so here we are. We're going to try to do our best, and we're going to give our honest opinions on the movie uh, "Defending Your Life" uh, with Albert Brooks and I forgot the lady, uh, Meryl Streep, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> See, I don't forgot. <laughs> uh, so I'm we... the cash guy. <laughs> well, when I was doing it for so long, Terry Kyle. <laughs> So, um, here we go, Terrence. Let's go ahead and take away episode 68, Defending Your Life. Fantastic. All right. Defending Your Life, 1991 is its release date, April 5th to be precise. Uh, this had a budget of about $23 million. We're looking at about... Uh, didn't calculate that one. Oh, look at me. I already stumped <laughs> Well, it didn't Terrence, take long. Terrence is already back in his original form. <laughs> I'm in full form, guys. Uh, this grossed in USA and Canada $16.3 million. Uh, that is $32.7 million, you know, accounting for uh, inflation. That's $32.7 million today. Uh, opening weekend, it made $92.6,000. Uh, that's 186000 today. So it didn't make much at all. It uh, didn't even double uh, its its box office, which is typically what you want to see. So as far as like money goes, a flop. Yeah, but yeah, a flop at best, break even. Uh, even yeah. lifetime sales, I mean, it, like, yeah, broke even. You know, it's, like, like, it's not in the negative, but it's not so much in the positive either, right? It'd be a tax write up for the time, you know? pretty much. Uh, then we have uh, box office. April 1991, so we're looking at the top five, uh, or in this case, I did the top seven just because, uh, spoiler alert, Defending Your Life comes at number seven. So at number one of April 1991, we have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Is that the secret of the use? The secret of the use. Go Ninja, go Ninja, go. (laughs) Yeah, that made 35.1 million opening weekend. Uh, number two, we have Out of Justice. Number three, Silence of the Lambs. Number four, Dances with Wolves. Number five, Sleeping with the Enemy. Number six, New Jack City. Mm-hmm. And number seven, Defending Your Life. Box Office, 1991. The whole year, we got uh, number one. And bef- pre-recording this, uh, uh, Jimbo actually guessed it right off the bat. And he's like, let me guess. Terminator 2. And guess what? It's Terminator 2 at number 1. Terminator 2. Love yep. Uh, number 2, we have Robin Hood and the Prince of Thieves. Number 3, we have Home Alone. Number 4, Silence of the Lambs. And number 5, City Slickers. And all the way at number 79, we have Defending Your Life. What number? 79. 79. And how many movies came out that year? 79. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty down. Only there. seventy. They brought it down nine places after that. Wow, that is re- that is mean. 
Uh, so now we're getting in behind the scenes of some of the people involved. Uh, we have, this was directed by Albert Brooks, who also directed Lost in America, The Muse, and Modern Romance. I haven't seen any of these movies. Jimbo, any of those ring a bell? Nope. Got it. Writing credits, Albert Brooks, also the same gentleman who... Pretty clearly directed. a passion project is. <laughs> Um, I respect that. Exactly. And he, he also wrote those aforementioned movies. Mm-hmm. Then we have music by Michael Gore, who also did music for a TV show called Central Park West, also known as CPW, uh, Frame, and South Pacific. Also, none of which I'm familiar with. Any of those yeah. ring a bell, Jimbo? <laughs> no, no, neither for me, also. Maybe we're taking a look at some of those movies to see, like, you I know, know, just to just to is get depending your life, you know, like, the low point of his career or, the, or was the high point? We should never knew it. Right. <laughs> that was not the high point. <laughs> Director of photography, we have Alan uh, Devau. Uh, who also was the director of photography for Van Helsing, the 2004. I like that movie. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was a solid Uh, film. The Astronaut's Wife and Fearless. Not the Jet Li one, but the one with Jeff Bridges. All right, I got to throw this story in. We went to the movies, uh, me and several co-workers, to see Van Helsing. And while we're watching the movie, we're watching the movie, and all of a sudden, the second reel kicks in. So we're watching, and then the next thing you know, you're down in uh, this hole with Frankenstein, and you're like... Hey, when did when did he meet Frankenstein? <laughs> and so they came in. Everybody was booing and everything. So they're like, that like, you, like we gave the movie to this other theater, you know, or or we could just give you a ticket for a future oh, thing of it. So yeah, I was like, wow, this really just put a damper on the whole thing. Right? How <laughs> fun that you watch any film just like a complete like randomize all the scenes together. So you just like you don't ever watching the ending, the credits. Yeah, <laughs> I had no idea. Well, because because there was like a big fight scene going on, a chariot or a yeah horse, a carriage. Next thing you know, he's in this pit talking to Frankenstein. You're like, <laughs> the Wait, modern like, monster. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, this tracks, but also it doesn't. Right. I don't understand. <laughs> so Hugh Jackson, confused. what are you doing? Did I fall asleep or something? Yeah. <laughs> Did I black out? What happened? <laughs> so we have film editing by David Finfer. 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 Uh, he also edited The Fugitive, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and Waiting. Bogus Journey. Was that the sequel? Or... Excellent yeah, adventure. Excellent yeah, adventure yeah, was the first, first one. one. Bogus Journey was the second. Yep. And then uh, the last one. I forgot the name of it. <laughs> I still have to watch it. Uh, this was produced by Robert Grant, uh, co-producer. The main producer being Michael Grillo. And then finally we have as executive producer uh, Herb Nans, also known as Herbert S. Nans. Middle school must have been rough for that man. <laughs> Uh, and then finally, we have our technical specifications, where we have a runtime of an hour and 52 minutes. Uh, so a little over an hour 30, almost two-hour movie. Uh, this is done in Dolby Stereo sound mix. Uh, this movie is in color. We're going to be diving into black and white much later when we start yeah. doing our later stuff again. But it's kind of funny, because I feel like half the scenes in this movie take place in like an in-home theater, basically. That's with true. With the <laughs> Aspect ratio, uh, 1.85 by 1 camera. We're looking at a Panavision camera and lenses. Uh, this was edited in Technicolor Hollywood uh, with a negative format of 35 millimeters, and the cinematographic process is spherical. And finally, the final printed film format is also 35 millimeters. And then finally, we have one page of... Awards! Awards. Uh, <laughs> The awards for defending your life. Uh, no, no winnings at all. This is all nominations here. Um, 
all fits nicely onto one sheet of paper, which is uh, it a is first. Still, yeah, it's <laughs> still in our Yeah, but hey, treaties. it's it's. But I mean, it's at least been nominated. We've had yeah. some that hasn't even had Nothing. an award. We're right. didn't have awards. Yeah. Uh, so we're looking at uh, the 2020 awards, uh, 20 by 20. That is, um, in 2012, it was nominated for a Felix for best original screenplay, and then you have the once again Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films USA 1992. I feel like that is the most we've seen of like awards and that's the, I'm talking over like <laughs> yeah, the big ones because I agree. it even covers smaller movies so it's interesting how we just constantly see this particular award um, ceremony it's a, it's a catch all category exactly it really is <laughs> in so it's not an admirable way not, not this, that way this was nominated for a Saturn award for a best fantasy film uh, also best actress Meryl Streep and best writing Albert Brooks then finally, we have American Comedy Awards, USA 1992. They were nominated for American Comedy Award, Funniest Actress in a Motion Picture, Leading Role, Meryl Streep. That's it for the awards. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting, like, you know, as you're getting to the award count, like, regardless of the quality of this film, I feel like it's kind of hard to define its genre necessarily because it's not really fantasy, sci-fi, or, like, you know... And Afterlife isn't really a genre per se, but it still is. It's a bit all over the place. It's a bit all over the place in many different aspects. So it's one of those you, difficult You to know what categorize. category I put this in? I put it in the same category as Shallow Howl. Because it was, it was a comedy, but it was also had a meaning behind it. Yeah. Uh, but it was hard to say what it was. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean, Shallow Howl. And I, I have not seen that since it came out. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. But yeah, I agree on that. So uh, take away the cast there. Take away. Uh, I'm going on. Who's I'm gonna, in this movie, who, I, you gotta, Kyle? I'm going to tell you all about the people in this movie. This who is could a, have been in this movie? <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you some of that. <laughs> Honestly, do love this cast because it's short. <laughs> That's true. So starting off here, we'll have Albert Brooks, who you've heard before about writing and directing, and the, clearly a passion project of his to get this done. He plays Daniel Miller. Um, you'll re- um, most recently, he was in the film, the 2011 film Drive, with uh, uh, what's his name? Movie, movie Drive, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a car driver, and uh, I can't remember the, like, the actor's name. Oh, you're uh, thinking of Jake Gyllenhaal? No, not Jake Gyllenhaal. No, not that drive. Not that drive. The other drive. No, that's Driver. Yeah. All right, we'll get to that later. <laughs> this is a great segue. And like I said, but lastly, uh, the, the latest movie he's been in was 2011's Drive. After that, he played movies like Lost in America. And he also had like numerous, I mean numerous roles in the Simpsons series overall as a voice actor. Um, including the movie where he played the role of uh, Russ Cargill in the Simpsons movie. The guy who put the magic the giant glass dome on the entire city and all that kind of stuff. So, all in all, um, very... Um, probably more notable for his voice acting role than his actual acting roles on film. Next up, we have Meryl Streep playing Julia with no last name, I guess. Um, as we get into the film later, not even the last name. And, of course, you'll recognize her from every great movie ever. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, movies like, you know, Kramer vs. Kramer, Sophie's Choice, The Iron Lady. Um, Death Becomes Her. Death Becomes Her. Meryl, yeah. She was in the, the, the Deer Hunter. Deer Hunter. Yeah, the Deer yeah. Hunter. So, like, Meryl Streep, I just... Legendary actress needs no introduction, truly. So, pretty much well going on with that. Um, next up, we have my personal favorite comedic actor, Rip Torn, who plays Bob Diamond, the uh, basically the to one of the attorney that's defending 
Daniel. Um, you, of course, know him from movies like Men in Black, where he played the director, Dodgeball, where he played the coach. Um, <laughs> you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. I love you, Riptorn. Airplane 2, the sequel, Summer Rental, Canadian Bacon, and um, <laughs> Pass from Alzheimer's. Jeez. Uh, uh, yeah, anyways, uh, Riptorn, great actor, love him to death, miss him to this day. Um, next up, we have Lena Adams, uh, played by played by Lee Grant. Um yeah, uh, the character Lee Grant played Lena Adams. My bad. <laughs> um, you'll recognize her in movies like Mulan Drive, Detective Story as the Shoplifter, and In the Heat of the Night. Yeah, pretty good movies overall. And then we have Buck Buck Henry, who plays Dick Stanley. Um, mostly known for writing credits, including The Graduate, The Get Smart series, and Catch Twenty Two. He also played a oh yeah he also played a Snyder in the Grumpy Old Men movies. Oh, and that's yeah, the right. Grumpy Old, yeah, Grumpy Old Men. Men. What a great we should go over those movies later on. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much all the notable actors of this film because this is such a kind of a enclosed film of the cast itself, where everyone who had a like major role was like just I mean to a handful of characters. So that is the cast of the 1991 film, Defending Your Life. So, Terrence, Jimbo. give me the synopsis of this movie. A man passes on into the afterlife uh, and then finds out you have to go through a trial process um, where everyone's given a certain amount of days looked at in their life to judge whether they live another life or ascend to wherever. They never really say, do they? They go on to the next stage. Yeah, the next stage, whatever that is, right? Yeah. and uh, while in this process, uh, he falls in love with someone else who's going through the process. Which is funny because it was only, what, nine days or yeah. something like that? <laughs> Three days, nine days. They all have yeah. different time yeah, frames of when they can be judged. Who knows exactly. if it's good or bad? It's 16, 9, it's yeah. 8, you know, who knows? But yeah, the idea of ascending to a higher plane or whatever, it's a it's a, a very secular look at, at an afterlife overall, like kind of religious and really, ambiguously religious, I guess. But like when. But, it was always like the more days that they look at during your life, let's say, the higher the number, they're like, ooh. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, yeah. I think Julia no, it was, or whatever. It was, the, it was the lower the number because... Um, was better for you, right? No, more was better uh, because he had nine. Everybody's like, ooh. Um, Julia had 12. Did she? I thought she, she had did. less. You no, watched the most recently, so you'd know. Who, me? Oh, uh, no. Terrence. Oh, yeah. Oh, there you go. Oh, I uh, thought it was the lower because... No, it was, it was they didn't have higher. to prove as much, you know what I mean? It's yeah. been a minute since I saw it. It's more of a giving examples of the good deeds they did. And yeah, like exactly. That up. So uh, the more days you have, the better, the more good deeds you had in your life. You know. So, so do you kind of want to give an, uh, an overview of how the story unfolds before we dive into any further details? Uh, yeah, sure. I can take a little bit of that. And like, um, like Terrence said, like Albert Brooks, uh, Daniel, the character Daniel Miller, um, dies in a car accident, and then told that he's, he has to be basically reviewed his entire life and judged to see whether or not he has but, to go live it again. But let's discuss how he dies. He oh. went to the car sales <laughs> when he was buying a brand new convertible or whatever or a car, and he basically got the wrong one anyway. And he's like, "Cause it costs more money." Remember, he's like, "But I'm yeah. a valid." So anyway, he got the president of what them CDs or whatever, yeah, for he was his CDs, cassettes or whatever for his yeah. car, and he fumbles and fumbles around and draws and picks one up to put it in, and he drives head on into a bus. Yeah, the and most foolish and like kind of like anti heroic way to die. Right, just, so you know, we're, like we're just being stupid. That's I'm sorry. Remember when he they was in the hospital and he was just kind of like sitting there and you know they had to make the decision. I think to he was brain dead basically. And yeah, they had to pull the plug. Whatever. 
So then you see just hundreds and hundreds of people. You, you don't remember that, Kyle? Yeah, I remember. I, His <laughs> mother had to make the decision, remember? I don't remember the point, point of the plug. To me, I saw him. He hit the car accident and then immediately went to like the hospital scene where he was already in the afterlife. Like, I was like, the transition to the hospital was him no, already because, in the afterlife. No, because he goes to that chair, doesn't he? Then he go to that chair and they do that thing where they're like, he won't feel a thing and they do it. Is that right? Because remember. everyone else is like numb when they get out of the hospital. Yeah, that, that, that's. Right. I thought that's why they won't feel. Well, that's, like that's they, when they went to the afterlife, though. Yeah, but I felt like the, the numbing was then going to the afterlife. I thought, and that was. I thought there was a scene where. Uh, no, no, I'm thinking of. Uh, I'm yeah. thinking of the one I'm thinking of is. Um, what's that? Uh, the guy that made the office did something on Amazon Prime uh, where you go to, um, basically the. Your your conscious can be uploaded into the uh, upload. I think is the name of it, where you can get uh, your conscious can get uploaded. Oh, when you and die. yeah, I think that's the name of it. Mm-hmm. All right, so yes, yeah, so I remember the people walking Sky around. Sky brain, yeah, all, mm-hmm. all, all, all like uh, you know, and they, it's funny because they look like they're all with walkers. <laughs> you know, they're, yeah, they're, they're all walkers. And then they just like, start splitting off. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> they're all being mandled around, like you know. Uh, yeah. So I was like, I'm pretty sure. I was thinking, I'm like. I'm pretty sure Kyle's right on this one, and yeah, yeah, it's it's. I pulled it up. It's immediately right after the car crash. They're getting ushered in because when they first get into the afterlife, they're all just like in just almost in like a zombified yeah, state, like just, just, just really zombied, like super morning. I don't zoned want to do out. anything zoned out, and they take them all to like the and trams, don't they? Don't they all yeah, they take them all to tram rise to the afterlife, <laughs> and they all go to that hotel, you know, and you see the one guy. Talking to people, oh, you won't remember this, you know, and then yeah. let's get to your room. You lay down, you'll feel better in the morning. <laughs> yeah, so a delightful little scene. I, I was trying to cover the generalities of the plot more than the specific details, but um, yeah, anyways, he, he wakes up after being shoved to his hotel where he realizes that, um, I don't think he's been informed that he's even dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, what's going on? Where am I? He's like, oh, you're dead. <laughs> you know, that's the way you've been told about how those major life events happen, I guess. <laughs> Um, but anyways, like I said, he's being he's informed by his attorney, um, Rip Torn, playing you know playing Bob Diamond, that he has to basically essentially review his entire life and be judged whether or not he has to go try again in a kind of like a I believe it's a the Hindu faith, the Buddhist faith of uh, reincarnation, basically something like that. Like it, it, it kind of a similar that. concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. They never he, really say anything exactly, which they, is very they, interesting how they dance around a lot of different concepts. They, they do play ambiguous, like like some religious concepts but nothing specific and I, yeah. I respect that but I, I mean they said like he basically is reincarnated to another life to try again basically and he's already done this a few times but not aware of it or whether or not he's willing, he's willing to ascend to the next level of existence whatever that may be and that's never really clarified besides having a higher brain function and having a bigger brain and uh, yeah exactly having brain <laughs> Every, everything's about brain power in this world you know I understand <laughs> But anyways, um, we go through that entire story of multiple days of him reviewing his story. And during that time, he finds, uh, he, he comes across Julia, played by Mar- Meryl Streep, and begins to fall in love with her. And um, learns that um, it's important in his life to take risks and enjoy his life. And then he's judged um, worthy of basically being, uh, going to the next level at the last possible moment. And that's the uh, the basic general notes of defending your life. But in terms of overall, uh, you know, 
how do we feel about the movie? You know, Jim, uh, Terrence, how do you feel about the movie overall? Like, oh, we got to save those for later. Yeah, we, we got, got a whole bunch of movies to go through, bud. Yeah, like, okay. I, 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 I just wanted to. I was just trying. To, I was just trying to look up the name of that. Um, we got a formula here. The one buddy. I was talking about. Man, have you not listened <laughs> to this podcast? <laughs> Listen to the podcast. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Everyone just records podcast. All right. So as I go through these, these are kind of out of order from the movie, but. If I touch on something you guys want to comment on, we'll just go from there. So, um, if you remember when him and Julia go to the comedy club, oh yeah, uh, where that comedy comedians up there giving that roast style kind of comedy. Um, the comedy asked Daniel how Daniel died. Daniel says, "On stage like you." <laughs> uh, Daniel later jokes that he can't leave before the end of the act because the guy on stage is his father. No, I'm kidding. That would be so sad for me. This entire interaction is a dark and elaborate in-joke. Albert Brooks's father, Harry Park, actually was a comedian who died on stage at the Friars Club just after he finished his roast-style comedy routine. Oh, wow. That is so dark. <laughs> yeah. he, to, to, to throw that into the movie like that, I was right? like... Um, on the Maybe coffee table... here to judge. Yeah, on the, uh, however you want to mourn, man. <laughs> On the coffee table uh, book above Judgment City, the picture is actually an aerial view of downtown Denver, Colorado. <laughs> so I guess my well, in the sky that doesn't bode well say. for the people of Denver. Uh, <laughs> They're already dead in the. The trams area. used throughout this film are older ones from the Universal Studios Hollywood. Oh, that's pretty cool. That makes yeah. sense. Uh, the Hall of Past Lives is actually the old Fleur Daniel building in Irvine, California. Got to reuse those in resources. The CDs Daniel receives. For his birthday art, does anybody want to take a guess? Uh, no, Kyle. Okay. <laughs> uh, the End of Innocence by Don Henley. The Greatest Hits by James Taylor. 1999 by Prince. The Broadway Album by Barbara Streisand. And Shooting Rubber Bands at the Stars by Eddie Brickwell or Brickell and the New Bohemians. I would have got none of them except I, Prince. I would have gotten all of them perfectly <laughs> correctly. That's what we're going to say. Um, to it. I guess Albert Brooks was really good friends with uh, Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher. Huh. Um, because after he just got done writing the script for this movie, uh, Brooks met Meryl Streep at a party at the home of Carrie Fisher. And he says, you wouldn't be interested in playing the lead in my movie, would you? And he asked her, and she was, yeah. Yeah, she was. She was interested. <laughs> so there's that. Well, it's always true. cool how you see Carrie Fisher come up in these things. He's such an influential person in Hollywood, and he definitely. And also, I think oh, Albert massively. Brooks strikes me as a connections kind of man in his entire life I'm just like, he knows everybody well, speaking of that let me get this out there the entire time I'm watching this movie I am picturing Steve Gutenberg from Police Academy as Daniel <laughs> because Albert Brooks just uh, yeah, no, yeah I'll just so, save so, it for the end we'll save it for um, the yeah, end included among the America Films Institute 2000 list of the 500 movies nominated for the top 100 funniest American movies to me, that just sounds like they're trying to make up a chart to fit this movie in there somewhere. Yeah. What what, what was it? Top what? Uh, included among the American Film Institute's 2000, the, the year 2000's list of the 500 movies nominated for the top 100 funniest movies, American movies. Is it uh, number 479? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, that's another thing about this entire film. Like, I feel like like there are <laughs> definitely positive moments about it, but just not enough of them. <laughs> Wait, Kyle, we're not at the end yet. But I still want to. And I want to interject. I got this energy, you know. Yes. Oh, that Denny's breakfast is exactly yeah, that, pumping you off. The millennials, the pancakes um, fuel me. <laughs> Albert Brooks offered the role of Julia to Glenn Close, who was unable to accept it, but suggested her friend Meryl Streep for the part instead. <laughs> Similar to the love. His lost in America character has for Easy Rider, 
Albert Brooks wanted a star from that film to play Bob Diamond. He first offered the role to Dennis Hopper, who passed it on due to scheduling conflicts. Jack Nicholson was then offered the part, but was unavailable. He remembered Rip Torn was offered the role in Easy Rider, also be played by Nicholson, before being fired for purely pulling a knife on Hopper, who also directed <laughs> oh the film. So he ultimately offered the role to Rip Torn, who accepted. So Shirley McLean's uh, cameo. <laughs> Happy third choice. <laughs> Shirley McLean's, uh, McLean's uh, cameo is somewhat ironic. While her voice is provided with only a hologram of her image, Without her there physically, in terms of endearment, Albert Brooks provides the voice for her husband, who is heard from another room in the opening backstory sequence. Albert Brooks first offered the role of Lena Foster to Audrey Hepburn, hmm. uh, but she had retired from acting following her small cameo two years earlier in Steven Spielberg's Always in 1989, and was so busy as the Goodwill ambassador for the UNICEF that she eventually turned down the role to focus on her other famous role aside from being an actress. Kyle, what's U-N-I-C-E-F? Um, it's an acronym. <laughs> <laughs> True, I guess. Yeah. Uh, do you want to look that up while we're doing this? U-N-I-C-E-F. Um, Albert Brooks held three different job roles for this film. Top build star, lead star, soul writer, and director. Um, oh, UNICEF agency. Okay. You're, it's a... Charity organization. <laughs> uh, I can try and get the actual uh, when is UNICEF work. The United Nations Children Fund. There we oh, go. Okay, there we go. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, Children's Emergency Fund. Correction. Nice. Yeah, that's where the E comes in. <laughs> Think of the children. Think of the children. Shirley that's McLean's. That's really admirable. Not a joke about it. <laughs> Shirley McLean's appearance uh, as the host in the Past Lives Balloons is an obvious reference to the fact that around the time this film was made, she generated a lot of publicity and ridicule, which she took in stride. By claiming that she had, in fact, had several previous lives. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that was what a true story. <laughs> it appears that Daniel was far more successful in life than one might think. As seen in one flashback, he was in a high position as one of the best advertising firms in the U.S., foot, cone, and building, and selected to make a speech to a huge number of representatives of the Ford Motor Company, yeah, I uh, which is one of the largest advertising accounts on earth. Earlier in the film, the issue of income was brought up as a negative. In this position at Footcone, he could have been earning a six-figure salary. Could have, would have, should have. Certainly mm. impressive. But yeah, everyone has this missed opportunities in their own lives, so it's not like unrealistic necessarily. Like, this you know. film is part of the Criterion Collection spine number 1071. None of us have any idea what that is. That is that awkward silence. We are all looking at each other trying to figure out what that is. Uh, Google help. The character of Daniel Miller dies on his own birthday. Uh, When Daniel comes to pick up his new car, the salesman is on the phone with the ghost for telling her that the only chemical odor that she smells in her car is a normal smell. As the salesman leads Daniel out of his office to get the car, another salesman can be heard in the background on the phone to a different customer saying, that is a normal smell. <laughs> so I guess it was just the used car. It's all, so it's all, it's all normal. It's the one test driver. Normal smell. <laughs> um, this uh, movie has also uh, been tied into uh, basically a parallel of West Side Story. Um, Albert Brooks' character is singing Barbara Streisand version of Something's Coming in 1985, or from 1985, when he drives into a bus and dies. The original song is taken from Act 1 of West Side Story and is the lead character Tony's first solo. At this point in the movie, he has not met Maria and has become delusioned with a gang warfare and looks forward to a better future, similar to the way Daniel has not met his Maria, which was Julia, and is disillusioned with his materialistic life. 
I didn't see anything about that drawing a parallel, and I'm surprised by it. It fits, but that is that is out there. I think it's I think it's I think it's a uh, it's reaching. Yeah, that is yeah. But, just, Albert, it, but it, I guess the song cool. tied into it. That's why yeah. they yeah. yeah yeah. Did did Albert Brooks make that make that note? <laughs> it's just like what side story guys. <laughs> Uh, when Daniel was writing in one of his uh, past lives uh, videos you're watching, it sounds like falls off the snowmobile. The dialogue does not match his lips. No, it I, doesn't at all. It was, I, 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 I more explicit than even said. <laughs> I noticed uh, that right away. In the past lives pavilion, as the subjects walking into the viewing booths, the overheard asked them to proceed to the first available booth on the left. The subjects actually proceed to the last available booth. So they all go in and they go into the thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and something else that bothered me is you remember when they sit down to eat and he's like, oh, seven cakes. I got seven cakes for you. <laughs> yeah. I counted the boxes or whatever many cakes. And pies, there, was like yeah, one, the there was like one left or something. Now it's oh, one yeah. short or something. Um, in the Italian restaurant, the waiter pours cheese on Daniel's broccoli. However, in the next scene, there is no cheese on the broccoli. Matching cheese. Where's the cheese go? He ate the it cheese. Went to the afterlife. It went after that. It went back to life. <laughs> uh, Daniel has brown eyes as a child and blue eyes as an adult. Usually, you see it the other way around that most of the kids are born with blue eyes, turn eye color later. In life, yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, after Daniel's trial is completed, and he and Bob Diamond go back to Bob's office, where Bob is handed an envelope with the judgment. The envelope is clearly unsealed when it's handed to Bob. Yet in his office, Bob tears open a sealed envelope. <laughs> For the dramaticness, it's, of it yeah, all. yeah, it makes sense. I'm, 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 I'm okay with this. Uh, when Daniel and Julie are walking up to the hotel for the first time, the front of the hotel very clearly has a canvas overlay saying "Majestic Hotel," covering the real name with the hotel being used. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we already talked about Judgment City book over downtown. So let's. Uh, Denver. So let's go ahead and talk uh, your feelings on this movie. That, Kyle, I know you're ready to go. I, You've been I've been waiting for this moment all my life, Jimbo. Let me tell you. Just remember, be... this will be the moment when we're defending your life. We're going to flash back to this right here, Kyle. You remember when you the said... The judge is like, oh, you were lying, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> it was for entertainment, I swear. Um, but anyways, this uh, movie, Defending Your Life, starring Albert Brooks, playing Daniel Miller, it was... Meh. (laughs) It was exceptional. It was fine. Um, It wasn't like the best movie, though. I feel like this movie has some, like, really witty dialogue and some good moments overall, but it's maybe not the best movie. It's definitely not the best movie I've seen in a long time. It's it's passable at best in most cases. So that's how I kind of feel about it overall. Um, Terrence, how do you feel about it? This movie... (laughs) I apologize, Leslie. I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, this movie, I'll still I'll be as kind as possible. So, first of all, it made me want to watch something better, something with like you know Steve Martin or Chevy Chase, as far as some of the like, because it, it tries to do slapstick comedy, it doesn't do it well. Um, and then speaking of which, it is sort of a little bit everywhere comedy wise. It doesn't kind of stick to one sort of type of comedy, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Um, and then, like, kind of how we were talking off mic, uh, Albert Brooks needs to stick he, he, to the voice acting. Yeah, he, he he's does an that ex- excellent voice actor, well. but he has zero charisma as a physical presence in the scene. Which is why, you know, we were talking about how it would be more interesting to see someone a little more emotive in the main role. Um, mm-hmm. Now, it could have just been the personality. Maybe that's how he envisioned the character when he wrote it. Being uh, bland and milk toast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> But you know when the when you're getting outshined by the child actors, I'm just saying. Anyway, but also like granted, like Albert Brooks, like, like he was definitely like 
the least experienced on-screen actor compared. Like, surrounded well, by he also had you like know, four different hats. In this but then again, production. I don't think Meryl Streep was a legend at this point. Yeah, but once you're a legend, you always were a legend. That's, that's, <laughs> that's life facts. <laughs> but also, like, Rip Torn, Meryl Streep, and everything else, like Buck Henry, like, all these actors have, like, real experience under the belts. Even for the time, they had pretty good experience with that, and they were always great actors. And I feel like Albert Brooks, like, his kind of lack of a really decent performance is, you know, like, it, it's it's even, like, it's even more noticeable when acting across Meryl Streep, especially your That's true, yeah. You know? Um, because you do have actors like Meryl Streep yeah. and Rip Torn in here who are, you know, easily the better part of this film. Yeah, um, who can just devour any scene they have. Cause pretty much. Great, like, know. they steal every scene they're in because, uh, you know, they're phenomenal actors. And it so that really shows kind of how everybody else is doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, 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 was, it was a one-time watch that I watched twice because I forgot <laughs> the first time. Because, <laughs> you know, obviously we had a hiatus, so I, I watched it like... A month or plus ago, and uh, preparing for today, yesterday, I was like, "Oh man, I, I need to really rewatch this movie because I don't, I don't remember too yeah. much." And and so we all watched these films under the idea that we would not have a hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> and then when the hiatus is over, like we need to watch these films because we're everything. always prepared. We have but a goldfish yeah. memory on the, <laughs> the tragedy cinema podcast. <laughs> Truly. Yes, but yeah, I mean, those are my thoughts. Um, it's it's okay for you know one time watch. Is it something I recommend? It's not something I sing from the rooftops to for people to watch. But um, you know, if it's your bag, then uh, if it's something interesting, if some of the actor names uh, you know piqued your interest and you just want to see some other stuff they that they're in that you haven't seen, I'd say check it out. But uh, I mean, overall, for me anyway, and. If you've been listening since the beginning, you kind of already know my taste. Anyway, I'm going to give it a personal pass. But an overall, like, eh, if, if you want to just kind of dive into maybe the time of comedy and like, oh, what was early 90s comedy like? I don't know, look at this and then watch something better, like something with Steve Martin. Yeah. <laughs> Jeffy Chase. John Candy. John yeah. Candy, you know, any of those. I would say on a further elaborate note, like this may sound a little bit... Uh, older in the in our now on demand entertainment world but like it's one of those things like if i saw it running on tv i wouldn't change the channel <laughs> like it's it's that good where it's like oh it's worth watching at least i can sit down and watch it i can passively enjoy it like a radio show or something like that yeah but it's not something i like i go on demand for to actually go buy or watch something like that it's just something that like in the background it's fine kyle true or false you have this on voodoo <laughs> of course i <laughs> so you but, did buy it but, but i love the world on voodoo that's not fair that's true <laughs> And then, and then I lastly, too, so. just from from like a technical standpoint, I mean, there wasn't there wasn't anything. Not, not that every movie needs to necessarily push the envelope, but I mean, we're looking at a lot of just static shots. Um, you know, nothing too impressive as far as you know cinematography wise. Not a very ambitious film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a lot of. Uh, but at the same time, it's admirable in how like it, how you mentioned really like, how they had basically the signed over the hotel area like that. It's a film that's very it's made very efficiently and gets done with the. Um, it accomplishes its goal without doing it perfectly every time, like the inconsistent broccoli or the envelope scenes, stuff like that. It's one of those things like it, it takes a um, if you're trying to make a movie, you know, efficiently and cheaply, you know, those kind of details don't matter to the overall plot, so it's okay to push through them and just finish the film on its own merits, which is admirable. Its own right to actually have a smooth, you know, production cycle, which I can yeah. Uh, okay. And then and then lastly, it's just one particular scene I want to mention. Um, the, the hardest thing for me to get 
through when it comes to rom-coms is the inevitable cringe scene, which in this one is the restaurant scene when he's with uh, Julia and then he's having like a whole moment because he sees his prosecutor. That's a way. Um, that scene was so painful for me. But once again, I, I cannot, I have a very low tolerance for cringe. And then so every time the rom-com comes to the inevitable cringe scene, I'm just like, no, why? <laughs> ah, no, I, 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 I completely understand where you come from there. Yeah. <laughs> So that's my thoughts. Jumbo, how do you feel? Well, are you happy? I Remember thought about this. Thought, this <laughs> thought about this a lot because Leslie is our friend. Um, but <sighs> there's several scenes I want to point out before I make my final judgment. One is the Hall of Records or whatever, or past lives or whatever, where they go. And if you oh, sit there and watch it, and <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, you know, let's get into and she's, and she's like, Ooh. she's like, Oh, she's like, look what I am, you know. She's like, what was she a knight, like Joan of Arc or something? And he's like, what are you? And he was like, running from a tiger or something or lying. Yeah, I'm on dinner. It. Yeah, <laughs> that was another thing. Just kind of throughout the movie, which just it always felt like, wow, if you just push this an inch further, this would be racist. <laughs> well, that's, 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 that's what yeah. I'm getting to. This yeah. this point. And then when they go, when he goes to the uh, China buffet or whatever, you know, they're like, yeah, that, "How many yeah, numbers they are you?" They're like, uh, nine, 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 nine. Yeah, the Japanese sushi go around. Yeah, definitely some shake my head moment kind of moments. Like, I wouldn't have done that nowadays. And then, like, you know, you had the the cliche Italian, not in the cancel culture shit, but like, that was probably poor taste. So, to me, to me, this, to me, his humor was dry. It's like, yeah. You know, give me something to work with here. Like, well, that news all over the place. There's well, never that too, really right? Like a well, like, like, like the, the whole of past life is almost slapstick and ridiculousness. Like, yeah, right. how Mary Streep has like every like legendary personification of moral good, and then he has <laughs> just, just the most inadequate, you know, <laughs> most right? Catchy, you know? Um, yeah, yeah uh, but I was, uh, you know, as I said earlier, I can I can see Stephen Go- Steve Gutenberg playing this role. Um, I can see uh, Kyle. I think you said um, Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase, or even Steve uh, Martin, or something like oh, that. Steve like, Martin would have been good too. But just Albert Brooks is just so dry. Like he, he's like he has no emotion when he comes to his character. I, yeah, there's something like, especially like yeah. every time they have a scene where like he shows his life and they spin their chair around and his face is just completely blank. Like there's nothing there at right. all in his soul. And I'm right. just like, please show anything. Um, um, so for anybody that's wondering to know about the end of this movie. Um, basically, you know, he he gets is judged. He gets to, judged to go back and start over. And Meryl Streep's character, Julie, goes gets on the tram to go be ascended. Right. So they're all on the tram. He looks over, and the trams are starting to pull apart. And he's like, "Julia, you know, no, I love you." So he he basically opens the door and he jumps off and he runs over and he's getting electrocuted. <laughs> he tries to get into yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the tram. He like, misses uh, magic. And then you see it was just the, once though he gets electrocuted just once yeah. and then it just doesn't. Happen again. I'm like, wait, what was the point? And of then that? you see the judge is like, oh, see, this is what we were waiting for. Blah blah blah. So he gets to get on the tram yeah, and yeah. move on. So for me, it's a hard pass. This is not a good movie at all. Matter of fact, I'm gonna go one step further, and this is gonna be like, I would put The Breakfast Club over this. And you know how I, I, I feel agree. about The Breakfast Club. I, I, uh, I hate everybody, the Club. everybody knows how we feel about right. it. It, it was, was episode three. Most controversial. Right. Um, uh, I mean, but at least them characters had. <laughs> Personality. Pretty, thank you. That's the word yeah, I was yeah. looking for. At least the, I could, I could enjoy. You can identify that. those characters. You right. know what they're about. Where did this? You know. Did this movie have some movie uh, moments when I, I laughed out loud? Sure. 
Um, yeah. The, the Hall of Records, the, the, the sushi bar, uh, you know, just a little couple nuances throughout there. You know, like when she's eating the, the never-ending pasta, like, <laughs> you know, slicking oh, up the big yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like... It was like it's eighty percent of the way there to being a fantastic movie, then it just falls short because like Albert Brooks is just not being the main star, if, or like the script is just I quite think one there. of the biggest things is if yeah, if if they had if he had put somebody in the lead role other than himself, I think that alone would have improved it. But I, I think there's you know a couple it, other things maybe sticking well, to is a it, comedy but, style. Like every, if every little aspect was just a little bit better, this movie could be great. Yeah, if yeah. they remade this movie with let's say Ryan Reynolds as the lead. And somebody else as Julia. Ryan Reynolds. Can you imagine? No, he would be perfect. It's hard to take him as every man, though, because it's Ryan Reynolds. Right, but I'm just saying saying he would be perfect in this role. Yeah. Especially in the afterlife when all that silly stuff's going on. So let's all go watch Free Guy. That's what you're saying. (laughs) There you go. So, but uh, I think we've rattled on long enough about our feelings. To me, it's it's a pass. I mean... If you want to watch it one time just to see what we're saying, I would say watch it one time. But then after that, forget you watch it. Maybe have the Men in Black guys come over and do that <laughs> flash. Uh, Bring back Rip Torn from Men in Black. And there we go. A better movie, Rip Torn. Well, I think uh, that's all I have. Do you guys have anything else to add up before we wrap this episode up? The next episode we are doing. What are we doing, guys? Well, well there's two you can choose from. I'll let you guys choose. Paper, rock, scissors, um, between ooh, you paper, both. Rock, scissors, so you guys go. know what to watch, so the next week you can uh, we'll, we'll just tell them. We'll, we'll just tell them the next two that we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, we will do Sons of the Lambs, and then we're after that, we're going to do Ben-Hur. The monumental... They're both <laughs> Ben-Hur. <laughs> a legendary as far ben-Hur. as content goes and, you know, what the, the things we can tell you about it. So look forward to those. Definitely give those a watch. Um... So once again, yeah, uh, the next episode is going to be Sons of the Lambs. And then the week after that, we're going to do Ben-Hur. So prepare. Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur. Um, also, we're hard at work um, on a Universal Monsters project again. Uh, for those of you who remember our first year, Terrence and I sat down and we did the classics. Uh, Dracula, the Mummy, Frankenstein, uh, Bride of Frankenstein, the Wolfman, and the Invisible Man, and yep. the Creature from the Black Lagoon. And then we also did yeah. uh, Abbott and Costello. Yeah, and that was our wrap up, Abbott and Costello. Yeah. But so this we year, did, I'm getting involved. We did yeah. eight of them. Uh, so we released two of those plus a regular episode that week. So that was a busy month of October. So um, not only that, but Kyle actually went down with me to see a live podcast show of Hillbilly Horror Stories recently. Uh, the Great ones folks, that, love them. The ones that we. Uh, help make this podcast po- possible so uh, if you haven't listened to hillbilly horror stories please go give them a listen uh, they're our good friends jerry and tracy Polly. um also natalie knight has put out our new podcast art if you're on facebook you've seen it, uh, it it's amazing and it, it is now where you can get it on merchandise on t-shirts mugs caps uh, yoga pants, whatever you want. Bye, bye, bye. So we are. Uh, if you look up Red Bobble, uh, Red Bubble, um, you will see us there. Just search for the Tragedy of Cinema podcast, or if you need a direct link, you can text me or message me, or you go on our Facebook group and you can get there. And just you have to click on one of the uh, pictures that it shows, and you can search for shirts, hoodies, whatever. So we'll get you away. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll 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 guide you. Well, with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And guys. And cut.